Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of Bricktown Breakdown. I'm here with my co-host, Hunter. Hunter, how are you doing? I'm doing doing all right. We're, you know, we're now getting deeper into the tank now. One and two. Yeah. Um, last time we talked, we talked after the Hornets game, and since then, they've lost their next two and very close games against the Jazz and, and uh, Magic tonight. Um, what are your overall thoughts from this back-to-back? Well, I think uh, the main takeaway here should be our young guys, no matter like, you know, no matter how bad, you know, some of the rotations look like with our, the younger guys on the team, like Williams or Pukashevsky and uh, well, you know, now today, Roby, even though he played great, uh, they, they're still competitive. Like a lot of hustle is still competitiveness, keeping it close between tough teams. Like uh, the jazz, the final score, we only lost by one point off a of Donovan Mitchell runner. He was guarded pretty well by uh, Lou Dort there, too, as well. But, you know, Donovan Mitchell's a superstar or an up-and-coming superstar in this league, and he makes those hard, difficult shots to put his team over. And the Jazz are projected to be one of the top five teams in the Western Conference. So it's good to see our guys playing at this, like, you know, level of competitiveness. Like, uh, no matter where the media puts them, they put them at, like, the – very bottom of the Western Conference, are they're going to play like they're going to play like they feel like they're the number one, no matter what. And it's good to see that they have that will, they have that confidence, that they want to play really well, and uh, it's just going to translate for years to come. I think when it comes to losing games, I think this is probably the best case scenario that they're losing the way they are by being competitive all the way until the end. Um, obviously, you don't want to lose games, but. For OKC situation, losing games is probably what's best for the franchise in the long run. But the way you're losing them is probably good for the short run as well because they're in the games. They're not getting blown out. They're giving themselves a chance to win at the end of the game. And you see, you know, teams like the New York Knicks or Sacramento Kings, and it feels like they're in, like, a constant rebuild, you know. It's because they have, like, the attitude that, you know, there's games where, like, they feel like they can never win. There's just games that they they just don't have the ability to win in general because – they're constantly getting swept on by, you know, higher teams in the Western Conference or Eastern Conference in general. And uh, it just kind of devalues, the, like, the players, like, they lose a sense of confidence in themselves. They lose a sense of confidence in what they can, what their abilities are. And when you keep games close like this and you got, like, your star future face of the franchise, Shea Gilders-Alexander, uh, you know, the very first game in Charlotte, he hit the game winner. Uh, these past two games, he's been playing pretty phenomenal. Uh, against the Jazz, he shot nine for twenty-one, uh, one for seven from three. They're not great, but he made an impact. He was a net positive four on the court, twenty-three points. Uh, he's been a great facilitator too. He had seven assists, and uh, today as well, he had a really good game. Eight, uh, eight for ten. He was shooting eighty percent altogether on the floor. He went perfect from three, three for three, four for five from the free throw line, and you know he was a near near triple double too. Twenty-three points, seven assists, seven rebounds. And it's just good to see him playing at that high level, you know. You always want to see someone that you're most likely going to be relying on in the future as, like, the number one, the go-to guy, uh, play this well this early on. And you're seeing that with other players, too, like Lou Dort. He had a career game against the Jazz, and he's having a – he had a pretty decent game against the uh, uh, Magic here, 6 for 14 from the floor, 3 of 8 from 3, not like he did, you know, against the Jazz, but he still shot pretty well in general. Wasn't perfect, but – he just, he's making impact on the floor. Everybody's recognizing him as a, uh, an all-elite defender. Uh, even John Hollinger was talking about how he already had, you know, Lou Dort in his all-NBA defense this year. 
uh, it's just good to see these guys playing at a high level. Uh, you're going to get surprises every now and then. Like today we had Isaiah Roby shoot uh, 9 for 12 from the floor, and he had uh, 19. And it's just good to see, you know, the potential of all these guys because we're going to be relying on relying on them in the future and just going to build around them too. And that, that's what you want to see. Yeah, and not only are we seeing, like, someone like Shea grow on the court, we're also seeing him grow off the court with his leadership because from what I've seen, the post-game availabilities, they Shea's basically become the leader of the team. You see guys like George Hill, uh, Isaiah Roby talking about how great of a leader Shea is and how he's really, like, taken that leadership role and ran with it. So that's another uh, good thing that, the, that somebody like Shea um, is uh, working on with this team since he basically is the franchise guy now with Chris Paul gone. Yeah, that, just another example of, like, you know, Chris Paul rubbing off on him too. Like, uh, I think, like, before the offseason started, they all kind of had, like, in the back of their heads, they knew that where this organization was going to be headed towards, towards you know, an eventual rebuild built centered around the young guys. And I think Chris Paul, you know, helped uh, mentor Shea into taking on that bigger role that he was he's taking this year. And it's good to see that because, you know, like you said, we see it off the court and we're definitely seeing it on the court. He's just, uh, I think you were uh, mentioning in the pressers that Al Horford was talking about how he has such a great basketball mind and he's just leading the young guys and even like, you know, conversing with the vets as well, just trying to get everybody together on the same page. And it's just, uh, it's great to see that. And you want to see that from a, a guy like SGA. And you can even see that from Bayes too. Like, you know, last year he was a young kid and uh, he always had like the, the goofy interviews, but now this year they seem a little bit, you know, more serious. But, you know, uh, yeah, it's just good to see everybody, you know, taking that one step further, taking, getting a little bit more mature. That's what you want to see. Uh, although it feels like Lou Dort has always been mature <laughs> because, I don't know, he always <laughs> seems kind of – he's been like uh, the most well-rounded player I've seen in a while too. But, you know, uh, it's just uh, – it's great to see everybody taking that one extra step. And uh, the vets also talking about it and explaining how they're uh, just moving up an upper echelon and uh, I just you just got to love to see it from a young team. Yeah, well, one of the questions heading into the season was who's going to, like, take up all the shots that were left with, like, Paul, Stephen Adams, Dennis Schroeder, and Golanari all gone. And I guess Lou Dory is going to be one of those guys that we've seen him score over 15, 15 points or more in the first few games of the season. We've really seen Dory uh, grow with his offensive game. Now he looks more comfortable driving to the basket. You see him finessing his way to the basket. Uh, he no longer is just bulldozing his way to the basket like he was doing last season. He's also a lot more confident with shooting for free. We saw him miss a couple uh, this game, and he was still shooting the next few without any hesitation. So I guess Dort's one of those guys who's going to take up the offensive responsibility that was left when OKC blew it up. Yeah, it's good to see that too. Like, yeah. Uh... Yeah, you know, we see a lot of guys on our teams like Justin Jackson and Darius Baisley when they drive to the rim. They seem a little bit out of control, getting you know, trying to put up the put up their shot. But Lou Dort, he just seems like it just kind of like developed even like better. It just seems so seamless. Like there was a play today uh, where Lou, Lou Dort was driving towards the basket, and uh, he converted it with his opposite hand, spinned it a quarter, and it went all the way up to uh, top of the rim. I mean, top of the basket in a it just seamlessly went in through the hoop and it just looked beautiful. It looks like something Kyrie Irving would do. And you just love to see that development from him. And like you said, he's also getting better confidence from the outside as well. I mean, his shot still looks a little bit, you know, a little bit slower of a release still, but it's just, it's, it's getting better. It's starting to convert more. And you just love to see that from a guy like Dort. Yeah. And 
What do you think of uh, Coach Dagnall so far? What kind of impression has left on you for games in? I'm loving what he's doing, you know. Uh, it seems like we have a lot more open shooter, uh, open shooters around the perimeter this year than, mo- than considering most years. Uh, you don't see just, you know, you see Shea obviously taking up the ball, but you see a lot of other players taking up the ball as well, and everybody has a certain responsibility and just everybody getting involved. And uh, you just love seeing it on the defensive side as well because, uh, you know, they're packing the paint or just uh, attacking the perimeter as well. It's just that uh, it seems like diagonal to bring like a breath of uh, – breath of fresh air for everybody in this uh, in this sense. He's just working with the rooks, seeing, uh, working with the young players as well, seeing what their strengths are and utilizing them well. Yeah, um, with Dagnall, he seems to be, he seems to really like going deep in his bench, which is a great thing to do, especially under these conditions where winning and losing games really don't matter this season. Yeah. And he seems to uh, really let this team shoot from free because they've been shooting a lot of free so far this season. And that's something we haven't really seen before with, the, with this uh, team. Yeah. I don't think I've, I've ever seen a Thunder team shoot this many threes before. And uh, it's just like, you know, a testament to seeing the Thunder also as well sort of evolve from like, you know, uh, the days past as well, you know, teams of Russell Westbrook just, you know, mostly driving to the rim or taking the mid range shot. We've seen that a lot last year as well with Chris Paul, but this year we're just seeing a lot of, uh, you know, we've also seen Shea Gildas-Alexander draw more double teams as well. And when he does that, you know, if you got another defender on you, there's always going to be someone up on the perimeter. And he's he's also grown as a passer as well, dishing out to the outside. And uh, just seeing a lot more three-pointers this year. And I think uh, as we slowly progress and as we uh, have other guys develop the shot, like we were talking about Lou Dort earlier, then we're just going to see more open looks and better shot opportunities. Yeah, you mentioned Shea's progression as a passer. I mean, we've seen that in just these last few games. I mean, if you remember back to the first game where Shea was getting trapped in double team late in the fourth quarter and he was turning the ball over late in the game, uh, we've seen him uh, handle the situations a lot better in just these past two games. Like you mentioned, he was being double teamed this game. He was double teamed a bit last night's game against the Jazz, and he was able to recognize those plays or recognize those traps and get out of them and pass the ball without forcing anything that could cause uh, another turnover. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he's he's growing better with noticing that. I mean, he's shown that he's uh, thrown a lot of turnovers so far. Like, he's a uh, combined 11 turnovers the past two games and he stated in the uh, I think he stated in the press that he was going to work on you know bettering that I mean he's already shown that he's his passing ability has grown but like you know it's always good to see it get better as well like you don't want to see too many turnovers but like you know he's recognizing like the defense when it collapses on him and he's recognizing where open players are and what's the best opportunity to get to make that pass and make sure it doesn't get uh, intercepted or swiped away and uh, there was a certain play where he uh he wanted to thread the needle, bounce pass it to Justin Jackson down in the paint, and it got uh, it got stolen by I think it was Evan Fournier. And then uh, they got the ball right back, and Shea uh, put a little bit more power into the ball and recognized where the two defenders were and put it in the right exact right place where Justin Jackson could have got it. And he converted a little oh, runner. So it's good to see you know Shea is slowly developing and slowly learning, slowly uh, noticing where he needs to put the ball and make sure it doesn't get uh, taken away. And uh, it's good to see that. Always want to see that from uh, especially someone who's going to be your starting point guard for future seasons and going to be the face of your franchise. So uh, noticing those opportunities and just converting passes and making sure to limit those turnovers is just something that Shea's going to work on and something we really want to see. 
Yeah, the turnover thing isn't really that big of an issue with me. I mean, that's expected when you have a higher usage uh, rate, which is yeah. going to be the case with Shea this year. So, obviously, he's, he's going to average more turnovers this year than he will in previous year just because he'll have the ball more in his hands. But not all, turno- all turnovers are not created equal. Some of them yeah. are, respect- are acceptable because he's trying to uh, – create something, create a play, while others are like, what are you doing? Like, this was completely avoidable, you know? <laughs> and I, I would yeah. – I'll easily take the acceptable turnovers because that's expected whenever somebody is trying to, like, uh, develop into a better passer. 100%, 100%. And like we were talking earlier, he's getting, you know, double team and sometimes triple team. So uh, there's a greater chance of him getting his passes swiped away. But, you know, uh, he's going to learn from that anyway. He's going to get better at that and – it's going to be fun to see as well. How good has the veterans been in Horford and Hill so far? Uh, you know, against the Jazz, Horford actually, he put up a, a pretty decent stat line compared to his first game. He didn't shoot the ball too much. He was mostly on the boards. But uh, against the Jazz, he was a net positive 7 with 11 points, 3-7 shooting from at the outside. It was good to see him start slinging the ball. And if he starts showing that throughout the season, then, you know, uh, his trade value is only going to go up even more. And George Hill, we all know about him too because he's been he's been doing pretty well. He didn't do as well against the Jazz as he did against the Hornets, but uh, just uh, seeing him drawing fouls and also being uh, somewhat of a creator as well. He had like four assists against the Jazz. He didn't play today due to back spasms, but uh, he's also a net positive six on in the Jazz game. It's good to see him play the roles, and uh, hopefully they're also drawing up that value as well because we want to get uh, pretty decent assets from them as well. So uh, I just hope they're doing well within the locker room. Uh, it sounds like they are. It sounds like they're getting along very well with everybody in there. Uh, talking about how great the culture is for Oklahoma City, uh, bragging about the young guys and Indoor and uh, Baisley and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And I just hope to hear more of that as well. And I hope that uh, they continue to play great so that eventually we can get uh, as much as we possibly can in return for them. Yeah, George Hill, I was really impressed with his uh... – attacking game against the Jazz. There's a couple plays there where he basically attacked Gobert with no fear and he was able to convert in the rim. So that really caught me by surprise, especially considering the reputation Gobert has as a rim protector. But with George Hill, he's been better than expected, man. I didn't think he would be this good. And if he continues to play like this, OKC should expect a first-rounder, whereas before the season, I think most of us would have settled with a second-round pick for Hill. Really? I, I I don't know. I kind of thought coming into this season after uh, such a strong season he had last year, one of the greatest shooting seasons he's had, 46% from three. I thought he was still going to garner somewhat of a, a higher pick. But like you said, yeah, he's he's shown that he can do just more than score as well. You know, he just shows that confidence and no fear, like you said. he's uh, He's been around the league for a long time. So uh, he's obviously going to attack. He knows he's smart about the game of basketball. He's going to attack the rim. He's going to He's going to take advantage advantage of his opportunities. And so uh, he's just a high IQ guy. And that's someone that everybody wants on their team. And to just add shooting upon that, then that's just something uh, a little bit like a cherry on top of the, on top of the cake there. But uh, Al Horford has also uh, caught my attention as well, because uh, I was talking to you earlier uh, before the jazz game, how this is probably one of the first uh, Thunder teams that we played with uh, Gobert on the jazz, where we didn't have like a real f- physical presence within uh, down under like Steven Adams was, but uh, Al Horford held his own. Uh, Gobert, he had a pretty decent game, though, still. He was like 6 of 8 for 12 points, 10 rebounds. 
but it wasn't as dominant as I thought it was going to be. And some of that case was due to Al Horford and some of the help defenses were from Baisley. But uh, Al Horford, he held his own. He put a pretty decent stat margin as well. Uh, I kind of thought it would be harder to flip Horford, I mean, considering his contract and uh, sort of the bad rep he got from Philly. But he's just shown that, like, he's also still got it as well. He still can shoot from the outside. He shot 37 from three. And uh, he had a he had a pretty strong presence within the inside as well. Held, like I was saying earlier, holding his own with Horford. I mean, uh, Gobert. And he collected five defensive rebounds as well. And it's just good to see that from uh, somebody like Horford so he can build back his reputation and hopefully garner interest from other teams who could use a stretch five. Yeah, I was meaning to ask Coach Dagnall that after your city's post game, but I forgot. I was going to ask him, like, uh, this is the first time in Gobert's career where he's played OKC and they have like no traditional bigs anymore. And I was going to want, I was going to ask him like, is that something you're going to utilize to get Gobert out the paint? And by watching the game, it seems like that's what exactly what they did with having Horford and uh, Muscala out there whenever Gobert was on the floor. Yeah. And it was good. That's just another like testament to Dagnall as well, that he, uh, he develops to the team he's playing with, uh, He's just a really smart guy, and he's going to utilize his players to their strengths and try and uh, uh, delve into the weaknesses of the opposing team. And we saw that with Gobert. I mean, obviously the Jazz won, but they won at a you know at a one point margin. So it was good to see OKC uh, take advantage of uh, their of their new advantage and uh, try and get Gobert out of his comfort zone inside the paint. Yeah, um, Horford, he's probably going to be stuck here for the entire season. I just think he has too big of a salary to move during his season. But if he continues to play like this, he'll obviously have suitors during the offseason. Um, but what about Muscala, man? How good has he been so far this season? He's been great. All I got to say is, damn, boy. Like, Mike Muscala, he's been playing pretty well. Uh, we expected – well, I don't think we, any of us really expected Mike Muscala to come off like such a – such a pretty like decent season like this. Like uh, I think most of us would have thought that he'd probably just play out his contract, his option here, but uh, there's a good chance that we might be able to flip him at the trade deadline or even before that uh, jazz game. He shot pretty decent from three as well. He shot the same as Horde for 37 from three with nine points uh, today against the magic. He did pretty well, but you know, he kept getting, uh, getting exposed in the defensive side by Nikola Vucevic, but he shot five or six from the field and three for four from three as well with 14 points altogether, leading scorer off the bench. So it's just good to see Mike Muscala uh, getting comfortable, kind of like, you know, showing his abilities that he couldn't show uh, on the past Oklahoma City team and even the Lakers before that. So uh, I'm just glad Mike Muscala was able to have a pretty decent year this year, one of his best, and uh, hopefully he can we, he can garner some interest of a, a potential uh, trade asset that we can get like a second-round pick or, you know, I uh, sleepingly said a first-round pick the last pod, but, hey, that might be possible. Who knows? Just pair him with someone else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, Mike Muscala, he's going to grab some interest, a cheaper option of a stretch five for a contending team. I think it'd be no problem to ship him out. Is this what Sam envisioned when he flew to Minnesota last summer? <laughs> he's a top recruiter, Clemente. You know he was thinking this. <laughs> but uh, what do you think of uh, Horford? And Hill, first of all, do you buy this next spasm story with George Hill? <laughs> uh, not really. <laughs> okay, I'm glad we're on the same page, yeah, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all know he's just resting here. 
But do you think that's going to be something that team's going to do with Hill and Horford for the entire season is rest them on the second nights of back-to-backs? 100%. I don't expect them to play any of the second night of back-to-back at all this year. Uh, they're going to try and keep them healthy, make sure they don't get any injury, because if you injure one of them, then that's just a, a shot at a trade asset gone now. Uh, they're, they're, uh, their value is going to dip a little bit if they get injured in any way. So they want to keep them healthy, but they want to keep keep them playing good as well. So hopefully Thunder, uh, they just uh, rest them on the second night of a back-to-back, make sure they don't play too many games, make sure they play enough games so that they can uh, put up decent stat lines so that other teams can be eyeing them for potential trade in the future. Yeah, Coach Dagnall mentioned pregame that uh, Horford's Horford resting the game is resting this game was similar to uh, Chris Paul and Gallinari resting back-to-backs last year. And he and he said that, you know, they were able to stay healthy. And a big part of that was because we arrested them some games. So, yeah, I expect the same thing to happen with Horford and Hill this season, especially since they really want to lose now. Last year, losing was like, all right, we want to lose games, but, like, we're not going to go out of our way to, like, lose them. But this year, they're full-on <laughs> trying to yeah. tank. <laughs> yeah, just a complete commitment to tanking now. I'm convinced that if we played Horford and Hill today, then uh, this game probably wouldn't have been close on uh, Oklahoma City side because the, uh, you know, starting Roby and having him go off for 19 points, even though he's played like, I don't know, I don't have the stats on how many minutes he's played all together in the league, but it's not much. And to have him just go off against the Magic, I mean, could you imagine what would happen if Horford were starting today or if Hill were on the team? I don't think it would be even close. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I expect him to continue to rest. It's a smart and safe decision for both parties. 100%. I agree with you. Well, do you have any final thoughts from this uh, first back-to-back of the season? Well, uh, final thoughts are it's good to see the, th- the the core of three, SGA, Darius Baisley, and Lou Dort, play uh, well to decent, putting up good stat lines, putting up a good amount of points, and hopefully they continue that for the rest of the games. Hope I really want to see that when they're playing against uh, New Orleans and Steven Adams, too. Yeah, definitely. So, um, in other news, it looks like the G League is going to have their season start in early February in the Orlando bubble. And their season is only going to be about 12 to 15 games with, like, a really short playoff run. And 18 teams have opted in to going into the bubble and having and playing the season. And one of those 18 were the OKC Blue. Um, I just want to get your overall thoughts about the entire the entire bubble concept and about OKC's Blues participation in it. Yeah, well, we all saw the. I think they're playing in the Disney bubble this year, if I'm not mistaken. Pretty yep. sure. Yeah. yeah, it's the same so one from I, yeah. from the one they used to finish last season. Yeah, and that's a that was pretty successful, and I'm I'm have no doubt that this one will be successful as well. Uh, it also is, also strikes the question of I think we discussed in the earlier pod about uh, what this means for teams who want to send rookies down to the G League and uh, what that'll mean for, like, quarantining and stuff like that, having to come back or go towards the uh, other teams. So it might be a little bit more difficult to process this year. But, uh, you know, you know, it's good to see the G League uh, getting some playing time. Uh, they're starting to go into a direction where they're getting more younger guys who want to start their careers there before they get drafted. So uh, NBA wants to capitalize on that. Make sure they keep that uh, that ship floating, and uh, you know uh, the Oklahoma City Blue have a pretty decent team this year, I would say, and uh, hopefully they can go pretty far down the line. 
I think the uh, G League draft is going to be on January 11th. So I also want to see that as well. So, uh, yeah, uh, pretty. it's good for the blue, of course. Uh, hopefully they make a good run. And uh, go blue. <laughs> That's all I I don't know. I don't really think the G League season is really going to affect teams like calling players up since it's only like a five, six week season. <laughs> so I really think they're doing this because they need to, they need to, in order to like financially survive in the future. Like I don't think the G League can afford to go this long of a layoff without games. Cause if you remember the G League stopped playing in March and they haven't played, they haven't played since. So they were looking at going like over a year while playing games and not, that's just that's just financially impossible to survive from. Yeah, it sounds like like NCAA they took a huge hit whenever they had to cancel their season, especially taking out March Madness and all that. It cost them almost it cost them millions of dollars. I can only imagine what what would happen if they uh, fully canceled on the season of the G League. It probably wouldn't survive. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I understand. I can definitely understand why they decided to go for for a G League season, even if it's just only five six weeks long. Well, Hunter, well, did you have any final thoughts before we uh, end this pod? Well, uh, I can say all of us here, we're all excited for the New Year's Eve game. Can't wait to see Steven back at the peak. We'll be covering that on uh, Saturday. We'll be recording Friday, releasing Saturday. and uh, or Wait, when are we recording and releasing again? We're recording Saturday night after the Magic game, and then we'll probably release Sunday, Monday to recap the Pelicans and Magic game. Gotcha. Okay, so we'll be doing that. And make sure to leave any comments uh, in uh, on our Twitter page. Don't forget to follow us at, at BTAM, BDAM, and follow Comente. You can follow me on Twitter at CLMonza1007. And you can follow me at HunterHarjo7. Make sure to leave us any uh, any DMs if you want to shout out. Uh, leave us any comments on Twitter. Uh, leave a review on iTunes. We'll for sure give you a shout out as well. Leave any questions or comments. We'll be sure to answer them on the next pod. Yep. All right. Well, happy new year, everybody. And uh, thanks for listening.